Sheldon Kennedy, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast, The Sheldon Kennedy Show. These episodes will feature honest and open conversations with notable guests who will share their stories, subject matter expertise, and insights on the many social issues we face today. This podcast is presented by Respect Group. Founded in 2004, Respect Group empowers people to recognize and prevent bullying, abuse, harassment, and discrimination through interactive online education. To date, Over 1.8 million Canadians have been respect certified in sport, schools, and the workplace. And with that, I'm uh, now delighted to introduce my friend, Tyler Smith. Tyler currently resides in Calgary, but grew up in Leduc, Alberta, where he was fortunate to play hockey, lacrosse, and golf all through the years, which he says was thanks to his wonderful parents. Tyler is a survivor of the Humboldt Broncos bus crash and is passionate about mental health advocacy and public speaking. Society's complexion and perspective on mental health has shifted since the pandemic and being able to hopefully shine a light on mental health awareness and the conversations he hopes to inspire people to have is what it's all about for him. So with that, let's get started. Tyler, it's good to have you join me and I'm glad that we finally got a chance to to chat and I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, what you're up to these days. What What are you doing today? What's going on? Well, everybody knows that uh, as soon as golf season comes around the corner, uh, that's where they're fi- they'll find me. So um, the old appendicitis might have thrown a little bit of a wrench into things, but I'm glad that uh, Mother Nature was kind of on my side and pushed golf season back. Um, so yeah, I'll be uh, I work at a course in town here, and then um, I'll probably you know put in sixty to seventy rounds this year. So I'll I'll wow. be busy. Yeah, yeah. Sixty to uh, seventy rounds. What do you what do you shoot? Like, are you lefty? Are you righty? Or are you I'm a righty and I'll, you know, anywhere from 74 to 80. So I, uh, I mean, I what play do you shoot on the back nine. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> hey. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> what course do you work at? Uh, I work at a course downtown, uh, Fox hollow. And then I play out of the Hamptons it's called. Oh yeah. I know that yeah. I've played the Hamptons. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I've played since I was four years old, so I hope that I'm uh, <laughs> shooting better than 74 on the front nine, but, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, uh, if we're how, tying it back, how did you get into golf? What, what, who was the, like, what made you get into that? I, my dad grew up golfing. Um, I mean, we still golf every once in a while, but I, I think it's now become a healthy r- rivalry with my brother and I, uh, my brother's in Leduc, but I mean, every time we play, it's a, it's a healthy rivalry. It's not like we're fighting each other right till the end. And, uh, but I mean, for the most part, it's, uh, if we're tying it back to mental health, golf is my golf is my safe space as much as it can be a frustrating sport. <laughs> yeah. Why do you so. think that is? Why do you think it's your safe place? What, what, I'm not really sure. Like, I think to boil it down, I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, it was always go, go, go with the hockey lacrosse. Yeah. And I mean, you're always kind of gone. And I think for the the golf aspect, I mean, I grew up working at a golf course too. I think I started when I was 11 years old. So don't tell anybody because I think that was illegal at the time. But I mean, it's just like the, the community aspect and the fact that, you know, I can go out and, and play uh, 18 holes at eight in the morning and just feel good. I mean, as much as, well, like I said, it's frustrating. And I still get super frustrated around it. I mean, it's uh, if I can go out with three buddies and have a blast and um, I mean, also kind of just 
I guess there's a little things that come from golf as well. The focus, the, I mean, the, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm learning everything or a new thing every day, but it's something that, I mean, I've grown up doing so, and I, I love doing it still. So, I mean, I think that's a good thing. <laughs> have you ever golfed with Colby? Uh, I have not golfed with arm dog. I, uh, I think he's planning on coming this summer. So I would love nothing more. <laughs> coming to Calgary. I think he's, uh, he might be coming to BAP. So I'll let you know as well. Yeah. Oh, right yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. Well, it'd be interesting. I'm sure he'd be a hoot to golf with. I could only imagine. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there'd, I don't think there'd be any quiet on the tee with him <laughs> yeah, around. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, he would make it fun to say the least. We're talking about Colby Armstrong, uh, former NHLer and uh, Sportsnet commentator and voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's starting to get some good, uh, I, I don't know about play-by-play, but definitely color. Oh. Yeah, I wouldn't be doing play-by, yeah, color. Anyway, he's a good friend of ours, and I, I met Colby uh, for our audience. Uh, I met Colby on uh, the Battle of the Blades uh, the season when he blew out his hamstring and <laughs> became a judge. I told him, I mean, hey, you got to be in shape, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's true Colby fashion, too. <laughs> anyway, great guy, and I know that he's really embraced uh, you and, and your family, Tyler, and maybe talk a little bit about your buddy Colby and, and uh, you know, what he means or how you met him and stuff. Yeah. So I think the first time I actually started to, I mean, they were instrumental uh, after the accident. Um, I mean, they brought, I think, countless people down. I know the Boulets were just down there for to promote, you know, organ, donate, or organ donation. Um, but the first time I met him was, uh, I think, in June we went to the Stanley cup playoffs. They invited me camo and shums down. And I remember my mom wanted none of that because I was still in no shape to fly on an airplane by myself and go to the Stanley cup finals, but I wasn't missing it. So um, yeah, Colby ML. I mean, we got to spend some time with them there. And then my girlfriend and I went down to Pittsburgh and just the most amazing people. I mean, their, their family, the kids are incredible. The kids are so much fun. And to just like, I mean, I could send Colby a text right now. And I mean, he would always get back to me and he's always, he's always there. I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, he, he's a busy guy. He's got lots on the go, but at the end of the day, he'll always make time. And I think that's just, I mean, that shows the, the true character, that true Sask boy that he's got in him. I mean, even his brother Riles is the bet is the same way. I mean, it it just runs through the Armstrongs and um, Mel is the same way as well. So I'm, I'm super grateful that we've been able to cultivate quite a relationship. Yeah, no, he's a good guy. And, you know, I want to go back a little bit of it and tell me, uh, you know, you, you made it, uh, you got playing into the SJHL. Give me a little bit of history, uh, Tyler, if you might, like, you know, what, what attracted you to the game of hockey and, you know, where, where was your, you know, um, talk a little bit about, I mean, kind of where you were at and, you know, if it was the love of the game, if it wasn't the love of the game, like talk, you know, a little bit about, leading up to you know that obviously that devastating day of the crash where i know all aspects of life probably changed but you know talk a little bit to me about and give the audience a little bit of a glimpse of you know what what hockey or life meant to you before the accident happened yeah i think hockey was always something that was kind of instilled in in me like my brother played so same thing i mean i wanted to as much as i won't really fully admit that i wanted to be like my brother but i i did um and I mean, playing up through the Leduc ranks was, it taught me a lot. I met a ton of, you know, good people. I was able to play throughout the, the junior athletic program they offered. And 
Um, I think once I kind of embarked on the junior hockey journey, it was uh, it was a case of I had no idea what I wanted to do in real life. Um, and for everybody that knows, I mean, junior hockey, as much as it's a business and as much as it's tough at times, it's a pretty easy lifestyle. Um, yeah. I mean, it was kind of that perfect transition for me because I love people. I love the dressing room. I love all aspects of that. Even going into junior hockey, like I knew that I wasn't obviously going to be the guy. I wasn't going to be able to, you know, put up 40 goals by any means, but I still love the game, but I, I honestly think I love the the off ice stuff as much as the on ice stuff. Um, I mean, I thrived in those settings. I thrived on, you know, being able to be in that dressing room and hopefully use my role in the dressing room to help translate to success on the ice for the, you know, whether it's me or the other guys. And um, once I got to Humboldt, I mean, that was, uh, that was kind of that moment where I was just like, this is where I need to be. This is home. This is, I, I want to be here. Um, the hockey community was small, is small as everybody knows. And as soon as I got to Humboldt, I mean, I was starting to make connections with Lucan, who my brother played with and, and Stephen Wack. And I mean, it was so easy to just fit in. And as much as, you know, I got, I got there and there's still the trade deadline to come. And I mean, it wasn't the set team as soon as I got there. Um, it was still a case of, I mean, Darcy created such a foundation of just, I mean, pure enjoyment for not only the game, but just like all aspects of it. I mean, Humboldt, mm-hmm. the Broncos, I think, are the most winningest team in, in the SJ. And I mean, their community supports the Broncos. I mean, they they love the Friday nights and Saturday nights. And um, Darcy did such a good job of, you know, making sure that we were accountable in the sense that these people are supporting us. And the, the least we could do is support them. I mean, the yeah. the the little things we did in the community. There was two or three of us that every week we went to the Humboldt special special Olympics at a school. We played floor hockey with an incredible group of people. Um, and just like little things like that. I mean, it was, um, I grew up in Leduc, which I wouldn't say is a small town, but I mean, being able to really get to Humboldt and, and understand that, that love and that passion and, and understand that, you know, this is just a sport. This is just a game. It's not going to make or break everything, you know? And, I think I always go back to Darcy. I mean, what he taught us and, and the, the foundation of character determined success. I mean, we were all characters in our own right and we were all characters and we were all appreciated in that, in that sense. Maybe give us uh, you've, you've mentioned Darcy a lot, maybe give the audience a, a glimpse of who you're talking about when you're, when you're talking about Darcy. I mean, obviously I, I know who Darcy is, but uh, you know, give the, give the audience a little bit about, you know, a who Darcy is, but basically the the values and and the guidance that was given to you. And I guess, you know, it seemed like after the accident, you know, Darcy had such a huge role in in and everything that he'd created before the accident in, you know, how the team and the community was going to move through, you know, obviously that devastation and the and then you know continually working to move through through it so give us a little bit of a glimpse into into Darcy if you don't mind yeah I think the best story I can attribute to Darcy is uh I mean like I said I was when I came into junior hockey I knew it wasn't going to be the guy um I played my first year in Drain Valley and then I ended up kind of in limbo trying to find a team and it's not like I had an agent by any means so I was cold calling coaches um and I think I was you know for example, I was probably on my 25th coach that I was calling. And um, I sent one text to one of my brother's best friends, Trevor Posh, and he played under Darcy Hogan, the coach of the humble Broncos. And I just said, can you help me out? And he sent one text and that was it. I mean, Darcy was the first coach that gave me a chance. I mean, just on the trust of his old player. 
Um, I think that just goes to show that, you know, he was always there. I mean, it was always an open door policy. It was why, do always you, a, why do you think he gave you a chance? What, what was, what did he ever tell you? No, I, unfortunately, I never really got the, the chance to ask why. Um, I think I was really starting to, uh, uh, once I got there, I wanted to just embrace it. And I wanted to just be like, okay, this is, I need to do everything I can to stay here. Um, and I even asked our assistant coach, uh, Chris Beaudry, who wasn't on the bus that day. I asked, I called him one day and I just said, you know, I didn't put up big numbers. I didn't fight. I didn't do anything major. I mean, why did you guys keep me around? Like I was truly curious. And um, he kind of just related back to the fact that, you know, being able to help make other people better in the dressing room and make other people feel good in the dressing room um, was my kind of not superpower, but was my talent. And mm-hmm. um, I wanted to be that glue guy. I really did. And I mean, it goes back to like Darcy's first line in our core covenant that sat on our wall as soon as we walked in the dressing room. And that was family first. And I always tell this when I do a, like public speaking engagements is a lot of us were away from home. Uh, I mean, I think there was probably three or four kids, uh, Gobe and Was and Lights. And uh, there was a couple of kids that were from Humble. But I mean, for the most part, a lot of us were away from home. I mean, Slave Lake and Winnipeg or wherever. And uh, that was our family. And Darcy did such a good job of, of making sure that, you know, every day we came to the rink was a new day. And I mean, it's much as we were a fun team to be around, we were still a successful team. I mean, I, I think anybody you talk to, we firmly believe that that day before the accident, that day was ours. That game was ours. We just lost a heartbreaker in triple OT, but the way we were able to bounce back and the way we were able to react to situations that, you know, didn't go in our favor. Um, I mean, all goes back to Darcy and just having that, that compassion for each other to understand that, you know, we're all going to pull the rope and we're all going to be accountable and we're all here for a reason. Um, and yeah, I always go back to, you know, that story of he allowed me to come and he allowed me to pack up my Jeep and drive six hours straight East on, on, realistically just a, a PTO. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know it's not professional hockey, but it was just a tryout. It wasn't like I was fully on the team, but he allowed me to try. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that I will always cherish. Well, and I think you touched on something that I think is <clears throat> sometimes overlooked and that's, um, you know, how many of these young, you know, young boys, young, wouldn't call them men yet. I mean, absolutely not. But I mean, you know, teenage boys are away from home going through normal teenage issues in the spotlight of these smaller communities. And, you know, maybe, maybe touch on that. Like, you know, you know, the need, the need for, you know, still that guidance, we need guidance. I mean, you know, the, the guidance and how much you look to say a coach or you look to, you know, community leader for your billets or somebody for guidance, because you need that still as a young teenage kid like and you know and if you don't get that it makes things a lot more difficult like you know why why would that be important like with with all these kids being away from home and and on their own yeah let me tell you (laughs) I was a privileged kid growing up I uh I I didn't have to do my own laundry I didn't have to cook I mean when I say my parents are an amazing people I mean I truly I truly truly believe that and uh even when I got to Drayton Valley, the the first year of junior hockey, I mean, I was an 18 year old kid that didn't know how to do laundry <laughs> mm-hmm. and little things like that. But as soon as you get to Humboldt, I mean, it was so neat to be able to understand that he was 
not just him, but like our coaches and our billets. I mean, everybody was just creating safe spaces around us. I mean, the safest place for me was honestly Dana's room, you know, Dana's therapy room where she, where she would work on the boys. And I mean, there was couches on that we would all sit at before the game. Um, she would sit in our desk and just kind of laugh at us. Cause uh, I mean, a bunch of 18 to 20 year old kids just talking about who knows what, I mean, that was our safe spot. And I mean, even my billets, I mean, I can only, I wish I could talk more about my billets just because little things like that, they were close with Darcy. And I mean, for a lot of maybe junior hockey teams, I mean, these billets may not even know the coach a ton, but I mean, my billets were super close with Darcy and a lot of these billets and a lot of these communities and and homes that we were able to, you know, align with were everything kind of ties back to the fact that this is uh this is our community and we need to appreciate and respect the fact that, you know, we're being brought in and we're being welcomed with open arms into this community. And we know that when we need something, Pastor Sean Brando from the church that we used to do chapel in will be there, you know, whether it's him or, or Carla from the, the Carla owns the Johnny's breakfast place in Humboldt that we went to every single day for game day. I mean, we know that she's there. I mean, it's a case of, it's just a trickle down effect in the best way. And I mean, that foundation in Humboldt was something that I wish everybody was able to experience just because it was so profound to know that there's safe places everywhere you go. And no matter what, I mean, people are going to love and respect you, whether or not you're the best team in the SJ or the worst team in the SJ. I mean, maybe the fan base would have been different, you know, 500 fans rather than a thousand fans a night, whatever it may be. But I think it's, um, I mean, we were a family in that community and it was, uh, it was special. Yeah. Well, you know, I get, I get it. And, uh, you know, and I, and I think this will be an interesting conversation as we get into, you know, when I move into, you know, the day of the bus accident, um, you know, I was, I was also in a bus accident in junior hockey where we lost uh, four teammates, but, you know, I mean, I wanted to, I wanted you to paint the picture and I think you did about, you know, that strong, community bond that was there um so you know tyler maybe get in if you can and and uh, you know obviously go you know go where you want to go with with the day of the bus accident and you know kind of walk us through if you don't mind like what what was the day like was there any you know you woke up in the morning you you know what was it like just give give us a little bit of the day and and uh yeah just so we kind of understand kind of you know take us up to the crash yeah it's interesting um I'm, I, uh, believe it or not, I personally don't remember anything from that day or, uh, you know, a couple days after. And I think it's, uh, I always talk about how it may be human instinct to want to remember. Like I really do actually want to remember the last time I drove to the rink with my billet brother Tobes. I want to remember the last time, you know, I sat at Johnny's and had my, my Benny skillet and I was sitting beside the boys. You know, I want to remember that last time, um, we loaded up the bus. I mean, there's so many there's so many faces that I wish I could remember that last time. There's so many, you know, little, little mm. moments that I wish I could really remember. Um, in some respects, do I think it's a blessing in disguise? Yes. Um, I think the mental and emotional injuries that, you know, come from um, whether it's waking up or whether it's, you know, rem- kind of remembering that day is, is something that I, 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 I can't fathom in a sense. Um, mm. And then I can at the same time. But yeah, it was from what I've heard. I mean, I've definitely asked the questions because I, I want to know. I mean, I, I would love to know if there was anything abnormal that day, if there was anything that was, you know, odd. But 
it seemed like a regular day. Um, and like I said, it was that, it was that, that time where we just lost a heartbreaker and we're down in a series against our rival, you know, Nippon was a, a scary place to play. I mean, having a rink called the cage, I mean, you know, it's not, you know, it's not going to be easy to go <laughs> in and no play idea. there. Oh my gosh. I even saw a video <laughs> You've never day. been up that way. Yeah. Like, you probably have no idea. Yeah. I just saw a video the other day of Flin Flon, the zoo. I mean, the Whitney mm. Forum. I mean, it's just, but I mean, to tie back, I mean, there was so much passion in that series and there was so much. Um, I remember that day after, or that night after the, the triple OT loss, I remember it was just a case of, we all just sat in our stalls and tried to process this. I mean, we all just sat, but as soon as, as soon as that next day came, I mean, as soon as that game day came, I mean, like I said, everybody that I've asked, I mean, we had so much belief that that next game was ours. Like, I think it was a, there was no doubt in our mind that that next game was ours. And I mean, even Darcy, I mean, the reassurance that, okay, we're fine. You know, the, 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 the self-compassion that he taught us, even that this is just a little blip in the road. You know, this is just a little, a little mistake. Like we're good. Like, don't worry about it. We move on to the next one. Um, but yeah. And then the, the days after, um, once again, I, I, I kind of wish I remember kind of don't, but believe it or not, I mean, the, the mind is miraculous. And as much as I don't remember from that day, um, I actually met a couple people in the air ambulance industry and they told me that, you know, I had no phone, no wallet, and I was in the air ambulance with Derek Patter, I believe. And um, I just riddled off my mom's phone number um, and I chatted with my mom and I, I did the classic, you know, we'll see you soon, you know, drive safe, like I'm all good. Um, and I just suffered a stroke. And I, I mean, a couple other injuries as well. I think I suffered eight total. So it's not like I was uh, in the best shape, um, but just it's, it's amazing to hear that I was still able to, I'm, I'm just thankful that my mom has had the same phone number since I couldn't remember just because it was, I'm sure for my mom and my dad, you know, being able to hear my voice was probably the most refreshing, profound, um, horrible thing at all in one. Um, I just can't even imagine that perspective as well, but yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild to, I mean, obviously look back. Yeah, no kidding. I, uh, well, I know in our in our accident we were on the way to to Regina, and uh, <clears throat> our parents. There was a lot of parents, players, parents on their way to Regina from the eastern provinces, or to come to watch the game. And all they heard was that there was a there was a there was a bus accident, and and uh, four players had died, and nobody could get a hold of anybody because we didn't have cell phones back then. So, in in what you just talked about really hits home with how important that is because my mom still talks about, you know, how she just, they didn't know for like two days of who, you know, is my son alive or is he not alive and, and who, you know, so it was a, it was a, a mystery, but even to touch on that, like, I, I think from my perspective, it's very bittersweet because I actually kind of not enjoy, but I am intrigued to hear where people were. I'm intrigued because, you know, one of my best friends was the only reason that my parents found out. Um, he texted them and he said, did you hear? And my, of course, my parents are like, did you hear what? Um, but even for the Nipwin team, I had, a, I had a really good friend on the Nipwin team. And I mean, even hearing his story of the fact that, you know, they were all getting to the rink and then they hear. And I mean, they just like went to the church and just sat and just prayed and like had no idea like what to do and no idea how to like move on or move or take a next step. Like, what do you do? Um, I think even for that Nipwin team, I mean, 
that's something that is very traumatic for a junior hockey team. And I mean, the fact that they went on and, and still played is tremendous and uh, on their end because yeah, it's, it's, it's just crazy. Yeah. So you went to what hospital did you go to? I, uh, I think my mom would know this better. I, I think I went to uh Tisdale first and then I, I uh, went to another hospital and then I finally made it over to uh, this uh, city hospital, I think in Saskatoon city or university. Um, we were all at one. I just can't remember which oh, one. Yeah, so were. that was the, uh, um, yeah. Cause you came by. Yeah. It was the university. Uh, yeah. Well, and that's, you know, it's weird and I'm, it's not weird, but you know, I mean, when the accident happened, my phone started ringing off the hook, you know, it was just started just ringing off the hook and they wanted somebody to respond. And, and, uh, and I guess because we'd been through an accident before and the media had my number for all the other stuff that we do, but uh, I felt that we could respond and we could re relate to what it would be like laying on that pavement and, and losing a teammate, but a friend and having others injured and just the feeling. And I think, you know, basically it was from that point where it was, after that day. And I felt if I could do anything with, with, you know, to help out in this during this time, it's try to take the pressure off the community of Humboldt and the, the, the team by, by trying to, uh, you know, handle the media for a little couple of days anyway. But, um, you know, it was, we rallied myself and there was four of us that had gone up um, myself, uh, Darren Kruger, uh, Bob Wilkie, and Peter Soberlock. And uh, we'd all been on the bus accident uh, in Swift Current. And we thought, you know what? It's like, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going. And we just felt this need to go. And a good friend of ours who was also on the accident was is a staff sergeant with the Saskatoon Police. His name is Pat Noje. And uh, so, and Bob Harrington, Bob Harrington was the, one of the, I don't know if you ever met Bob, but Bob was the billet. He was a billet of Bob Wilkie and he's with the RCMP and he was, he was a young RCMP officer, but he was the first responder to our accident. And uh, his daughter was the lead trauma doctor that night who picked up a shift at the hospital. Jeez. And uh, I know That's it's unreal. Wild. Hey, it, it's yeah. unreal. And, and Dana, the trainer, Dana, what, what was Dana's last name? Uh, bronze. Dana Braun. Yeah. Dana Braun's brother worked at uh it's called western sales western water where i bought and he was an agronomy which helped me put together because we farm out there which helped me put together so i knew her brother dana's brother before and i you know and it wasn't until we went into what on our tour in the hospital uh to just try to you know bring a little bit of hope to this whole thing that i actually saw her brother standing there and i'm just like oh my gosh like i you know, and I connected those two, but you know, Tyler, it was, uh, it's interesting because I think in situations like you just, we had no idea what, what we could do or what we could offer, but, you know, I think what we did know is that we could speak to this tragedy probably better than a lot of other people just because we were there. And I think just by showing up, it probably brought some hope to some of the families and, and uh and some of the guys and and um anyway that was my involvement i i mean even my dad still talks about you i think it's uh I, as much as i unfortunately don't remember obviously yeah. our full time in in my hospital room with you but i mean my parents my parents still have 
the utmost love and respect for you just because I mean that I personally, from your perspective, I mean, I, I know it's, you're interviewing me, but I would love to know, like, I mean, your fight or flight mode has, do you think it's obviously because of your foundation and because of what you went through has, I mean, even the Kyle beach situation in the NHL and our accident. I mean, there's so much that you do. I mean, there's so much that you, you, you show up for. And I think I just, I have so much admiration and respect for the fact that no matter what, I mean, you will go into that fight and you will make sure that you were showing up for the other people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just something that I don't have a question, but I just, I just really yeah. commend you for that. And I, I don't know if it's that obviously that, that trauma basis or, or what comes from that, you know, that fight or flight mode and always making sure that you're doing what you can to, to, you know, whether it's give hope or, or show the impact that can be made. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's very admirable. Sheldon. Well, I mean, you know, Tyler, I, it's, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's, it's because of what, it's because of what, what we went through that my yeah. phone started ringing off the hook to respond. Yeah. And I felt it was just, I don't think the only decision that we made was we needed to go there and we felt that we just needed to go there. So, um, but you know, I think, one of the things, Tyler, I'd love to have you talk about, and I, you know, mental health is obviously one of your passions and, you know, you, you want to be able to understand it so that you can help others. And I think one of the things that I really, really didn't understand was how much, how much impact that accident had the vicarious trauma had on me because I was dealing with all of the other stuff that was going on, all the sexual abuse and stuff that was going on. And, you know, we never even got, any counselors like basically Graham didn't let us have any counseling because he didn't want the other stories to come out. But you know, what I've learned about the impact of the accident with individuals like Peter is that it is very significant and it, it brought with it a level of anxiety um, that Peter, you know, it was years, years uh, that he struggled with this and Bob Wilkie and, and others that just that alone had a significant impact and, and, and just trying to understand what was wrong and the survivor guilt and the vicarious trauma, all of this stuff. So, you know, I'd love to learn from your perspective, you know, where you're at, like what you want, you're advocating for mental health. Like you, you know, I know you don't remember, you know, a lot on the, the day, the day of, or the few days, which is fine, but just talk a little bit if, if you don't mind, like how did you get to the point of wanting to be an advocate how are you today? You know, how do you feel this has impacted you? Do you feel that you, you've seen the, the wave of the most of the impact or not? Or just, just talk to us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Tyler. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for us was, I mean, it was so unique. Um, mm. I think, you know, the fact that we were a bunch of 18 to 20 year old kids who just, you know, went through, as you know, just insurmountable amount of trauma and grief. And, um, up until this point in my life, I mean, I never went through trauma. I never went through grief. I never went through loss. I never went through anything that really made me check myself with my mental health because it's not like I was taught this, but I mean, being that dress room person, being that classroom person, being that fun loving guy, I was, I mean, I was always ready to put others before myself. And I mean, once I was able to get home and once I was able to you know, start to really understand the impact of everything and how, uh, how much we just went through. I mean, I went into 
complete flight mode. I went into, okay, I need to push this off. I mean, I need to focus on my physical injuries. I need to make sure that, you know, I'm taking care of my body and my mental and emotional health will follow. I, I truly believe that. And I truly believe that I didn't need to show weakness. You know, I truly believe that, okay, everybody that's coming to the door to drop something off. Um, I still remember this little kid dropping off a picture, um, just the cutest kid in the world. And I'm like, I'm in the back of my mind thinking that I have no reason to show weakness here. I need to show that, you know, I'm appreciative of this. I need to show that I'm, I'm doing well. I need to show that, you know, I'm, I'm okay. But at the same time, I mean, I was only just bottling everything up and I had no desire to take that next step because I had no idea how to, and it's Mm -hmm. nobody's fault. I mean, it's nobody's fault. It's not my parents' fault. It's not my friend's fault. It's nobody's fault because that was a very weird and, and unique conversation to bring up because I mean, my parents went through a lot too. I mean, my parents were very close to losing their child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, they were dealing with while also trying to understand how they could, you know, really understand my perspective, but I was giving them nothing at all. Um, and I was not ready to have conversations. And as for the survivor's guilt, I mean, that was the, that was, I think for the first two months, the hardest thing, because I was thinking to myself, why should I go out in public and go have fun and go laugh? I mean, why should I go out and show that I'm having a good time? I mean, I'm thinking to myself that there's, you know, 16 families that are completely broken for the rest of their lives. I mean, I have my family still and I, I, sh- I shouldn't be here. You know, I, I mm-hmm. think SWAC should still be here. You know, why, why did this happen to us? And I, and I think, um, you know, as I started to have conversations with the families and as I started to, you know, um, embrace those relationships that I was, um, that we were, you know, somewhat just automatically led into. I mean, I have, I have so much respect and love for every single, um, family member, every single person. Um, I mean, I have, I'd like to think that, you know, I have good relationships with, um, those, all the families just because, I mean, I think we know that, you know, we are bonded for life. Um, and I think it's just something that is very, tough to navigate. And even for your question about, you know, where are you at now? How are you? And I, I, I truly believe it's a case of I've embraced this whole every day is a new day thing. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm not every time everybody asks, you know, what's your goals, what's your dreams? I mean, I, I'm, I don't really have anything that I'm fully, fully looking to the future to achieve this goal. I mean, I have, you know, maybe small, subtle goals that I definitely think about. And I I think goal setting is an incredible tool that you can use. But I mean, for the most part, I mean, I'm just, I'm just happy to, to, you know, be here. And I'm, I'm just happy to understand that I'm in a position where if I can make an impact and then I, I want to, um, and that's just me. But at the end of the day, you know, I, even when I do a speech, I go up and I, you know, I hate talking about myself. But if I can do something and if I can plant a seed in somebody and if I can say something that really resonates with somebody, then that's what kind of led me down this path. And I mean, I still don't know if this is a path that I will take, you know, five years down the road. I didn't anticipate doing any of this advocacy. I didn't anticipate public speaking. I didn't anticipate, you know, talking um, openly about mental health. But, you know, if I can just, you know, come to the terms that I can embrace the good and the bad in this world, then. And if I can also, you know, help people find that as cliche as it's that light at the end of the tunnel, then, I mean, sign me up. I mean, that's kind of, that's my goal, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I think too, Tyler, like I've never, 
made the decision to say this is what I was going to do in, in my life. But sometimes life circumstances point you and, you know, paves the, paves the way for you. Yeah. And that, you know, and that changes along the way, but uh, you know, I, I'd have like, we didn't, when our accident happened, we didn't have social media. And I think, you know, when you were talking a little bit about survivor's guilt, you know, I was watching a lot of the, yeah, I'm, at, I'm on Twitter, but that's it. But, you know, I was seeing a lot of Twitter stuff and I felt, couple of my conversations, like, did you feel pressure to, even though you, you know, cause everybody deals with trauma differently, right? Everybody deals with this stuff differently. And did you feel pressure that even though you felt like smiling, that you better not get caught smiling? <laughs> like, yeah. As weird like, as it even, sounds. And it doesn't like, mean that sense. you, you know, you're dismissing the the devastation and the tragedy that happened, but did you feel the pressure from social media? Because a lot of the social media stuff is yes, there's support, but there's also the pressure to be sad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's even like when I look back and we went to the NHL awards, I mean, I bawled my goddamn eyes out on stage and in, in front of, you know, all these NHLers, all these people involved with the league. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what are you doing? You know, like, what, yeah. what, why are you doing this? But I mean, I can look back and I could pr- be proud to say that, you know, I have bawled my eyes out on stage on national TV. And as much as I, you know, at this point didn't come to terms with anything I, we were going through or I was going through, it was just a case of my body and mind needed to let something out. I mean, at that point still, I still didn't really know how to navigate that relationship between my following and, or not my following. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't like to classify yeah, your followers. That, but, like your, yeah. yeah the, the social yeah. media side of stuff. Yeah. Cause I mean, even when I woke up and I, I mean, my, I always say I'm super grateful for my parents for easing me into obviously what just happened and also easing me into, you know, my phone time even, because I remember when I woke up, I mean, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, social media, the messages. Um, it was so odd to be able to, to tread that line of, you know, how do you, how do you go about this? How do you post something? How do you, how do you, you know, I didn't do a, I didn't do an interview for probably a couple months at least. I mean, I was in no place to be like, why would I go out and show myself in public? You know, I wasn't able to go to the funerals of, of all these amazing people that I lost and, and, you know, what gives me the right to go out in public and do an interview and talk about how I'm doing and, and all this. And um, so, yeah, I think it just goes back to, I had no idea how to balance that. Yeah. Well, and I just, I think that it would be tough and just the pressure that comes with, you know, just the, the outpouring of not just support, but other people sometimes get, you know, it's, it's a way to get uh, attention to tell their story. Yeah. Right. So you've got people re- reaching out and, you know, anyway, I, I just, I just, I've always felt that, that it must've been tough because you've, you've must've been, you know, you're a little bit under the microscope, you know, for, you know, less now, but I mean, when, you know, when the, when the accident had happened, it's just, it must've been very difficult to, to feel that you could, you know, smile again. Yeah. And then even like, I mean, don't get me wrong, like the outpouring of love and support was realistically, I can't speak for anybody else, but that was the only reason like we made it through a lot of the days. Um, I know even, I still remember this, like the first time kind of our family outing, our family, first family dinner, we went to Earl's in South Common and Edmonton and, and I'm wearing my arm brace and, you know, I look a little bit disheveled and I mean, the waitress asked, you know, oh, what's that from? Like, what's going on? And I mean, maybe should I look back and I should say, you know, maybe I should have said something 
else or made up a story, you <laughs> yeah. know, but I said, I mean, I said, you know, this is, you know, this is who I am. This is what happened. And I mean, it was a case of instantly comped our meal. And I'm like, no, no, like I'm, I'm not yeah. looking for that. You know, like I'm, but it's just a case of, I can now understand that people just truly want to give people just yeah. truly want to show their support. And I mean, you even look at the little Ben Stelter with the Empton Oilers right now. I mean, it's just a case of a lot of people don't know what to do other than to just give and to just yeah. love, which is, I mean, I think we really experienced. Um, so, so what do you, what, like, tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what are you doing today? What, what are you doing today? Not only, for yourself, like what are some, what are some tools that you try to try to do every day? If there is any, just to try to set yourself up for success. And then when you go to speak to somebody, like when you go to speak to a group of people or you, you get asked to share your story, are you sharing your story or are you talking about, what do you talk about? Yeah. Like when I, uh, I mean, the good thing is I, I don't, people don't come to me and be like, we want you to talk about this. You know, people yeah. come to me and be like, we just want you to share your story. And I've kind of developed, it's not like I'm going through the motions up there. Um, I truly believe that it's still very therapeutic for me. Mm. Um, I just did a speech in Hannah, Alberta, home and Nickelback, not a big deal, but. Uh, <laughs> well, Lanny McDonald and Jim Nill. Okay. I didn't, well, yeah, we didn't yeah. talk about Lanny and Jim. Then. Lanny okay. says that his, they just <laughs> knocked over his sign and Jim Nill's sign and it's sitting in the ditch and put up Nickelbacks. <laughs> oh, <geez>. I don't <laughs> know if that's true, but that's what he yeah. said. Yeah. Yeah. But even like, I mean, going into, I, I think it's a little bit intimidating, you know, to go into a small town that's, you know, tight knit. And, and I think Hannah, you know, I attribute a little bit of toughness, a little bit of, you know, farming, a little bit of, you know, grit, and, you know, being able to do that speech and being able to share my story. And it's a, it's a case of as, as soon as I get up there, I mean, I'm not saying I'm a mental health expert by any means. You know, I, I truly, I want people to know that this is just my story and I hope something resonates with you, but, um, you know, going through the chronologicals of the, the weeks and months and the years following the accident and how, you know, my, my relationship with physical, mental, and emotional, and sp even spiritual health really did change. And, and the perspectives I learned, the lessons I learned along the way. And once I commenced that speech, you know, going down and chatting with people after, I believe, is the most refreshing thing in the world. I mean, it's also, it's tough. Um, it's something that, once again, I didn't anticipate doing, you know, having a conversation with somebody that is telling me that they were very close to, you know, not being here anymore because of mental health reasons. I mean, that's a, obviously that's tough to juggle, you know, how, how much do you offer to, you know, but I think it's, it's just very refreshing for me to know that an impact can be made by one little small, whether it's the whole speech, whether it's one little small quote, I mean, you really never know. Um, so for me, I mean, being able to go up there, it's still nerve wracking. It's still something that, you know, I still get nervous doing, but it's, uh, it's become something that I really enjoy doing, you know, being able to, to go up in front of a group of people, big or small, and just share and just ramble uh, and just talk and, and hopefully have something come out of it um, and have something or somebody have a perspective switch or have somebody, you know, understand that whether it's most cases, it's a male that really needs this. Um, I think we've obviously started to see the shift. Um, there's still a long way to go, but I mean, the emphasis even on the male men's mental health, I mean, if I can 
help one big burly male um, take care of their mental strength and take care of their mental well-being, then yeah, mission accomplished. And just start practicing. To- and then as for, sorry, I, I kind of missed your your first question, but as for, you know, like the things I do, I mean, having that, I think that athlete background, getting a good sweat in is probably the best thing I can do for myself. Um, you know, whether it's literally just going for a walk. Um, I really enjoy listening to podcasts and being able to immerse myself in a conversation that, you know, I'm not a part of, but still being able to get something out of a conversation, even with a celebrity or an athlete or whoever it may be is something I enjoy doing. Um, I wish I had even people always ask, you know, what do you, what do you do? Like, what can I do? And I think I boiled it down to the fact that, you know, everybody's different and finding what works for you and giving yourself a chance to fail in your search for what works for you um, is important. And also not, you know, I saw, I had a quote the other day from one of our podcasts and, you know, being present is not judging where you're at, but trusting that where you're at is exactly where you're supposed to be. I mean, it's just something like that, you know, being able to shift your, your perspective to that is important and is very minor, but is important in the grand scheme of things I've come to understand. Yeah. And it's practice, eh? not perfection. Yeah. So you mentioned podcast, you, you've got a podcast. <laughs> I do. Well, you do. Yeah. Eh? What, what's yeah. the name of it? The speak your mind podcast. I, uh, Tell I me co-host a bit about that. Who, who do I you do that by yourself with... or what? No, by no means. So I, uh, I went into a podcast with uh, Riley Shan of the Shadow Kraken and then another gentleman who uh, is uh, helps facilitate our podcast now, Danny Healy, and um, it's called Speak Your Mind. I went on as the first guest and little lo and behold, I mean, they asked me to be the co-host and I mean, turning, nice. I couldn't turn down an opportunity to co-host a podcast with a professional athlete. And I mean, Riley's amazing and, um, you know, I commend him for being a professional athlete, but also trying his best to, you know, help make the shift in sport. Um, I mean, there's so much talk about the fans and people wanting athletes and stuff to market themselves better, especially in the hockey world. But I think, you know, for us, it's just a case of, we want people to understand that whoever we bring on big or small, I mean, these are human beings. And we just had an incredible conversation with Emily, Emily Kaplan of ESPN. And I mean, somebody like her, I mean, she's a, she's a female in a very male dominated sport and, and, you know, she's able to use her platform to express the fact that, you know, she goes to therapy, she has anxiety, she has depression. And she's also able to express the fact that, you know, she enjoys being able to help, you know, facilitate conversations with young aspiring stars. And it's not a case of every time she talks to these stars, she wants to get them to open up and become vulnerable. But I mean, being able to create that foundation and, and create a space where they feel it's okay to just talk about, you know, how they're doing and how's things been. I mean, it's tough. Um, and that's one thing I have learned is how tough the, the, the sporting world is the entertainment world. And, um, for me, I mean, being able to have these conversations with whether it's an ex NFL or whether it's Jojo Mason, a country music singer, I mean, hearing these new perspectives is something that I actually even just put in my speeches and I actually, you know, help instill in my life. I mean, it's, once again, I had no anticipation of doing something like this, but it is so fulfilling, Sheldon. It's so yeah. amazing to have these open conversations with people that I never thought I would be talking to. Well, and I think, Tyler, that's, you know, that's how we start with the change. And I know that that's what we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, being able to bring change, you know, uh, around issues and mental health is falls under that issue. I mean, you know, so does discrimination and inclusion and diversity and abuse and bullying harassment. I mean, it all, 
you know, they carry a significant amount of fear. And the way that we get through that is keep practicing to get better and, you know, progress, not perfection. So I applaud you for that, uh, Tyler, uh, very much. And, um, you know, we're, we're getting to the, getting to the end on time here, but I just, you know, I, just to kind of close out, I just really want to say that, uh, I admire your honesty and I, you know, I'm really, uh, grateful that, uh, you came on and, you know, really gave us your perspective on, you know, basically your life. I mean, it's not easy to go back and, and talk, but it's, you know, it's, it's also about what are we doing? How do we, yes, things happen to us. I mean, we, we have a life, I mean, and in our life, lives are different and there's every life, you know, has different events in it that shape us and that uh, guide us and that point us and, you know, or that devastate us. And I think, you know, it's, it's what, what are we going to do to move and get out of or to embrace or whatever our life uh, has planned for us. And so, you know, it's just, it's nice to see that you're, you're doing what you feel uh, you can do to help others. I think that's admirable. And I think you also need to know that uh, you will make a difference. There's no doubt. And, um, you know, being able to have these conversations and teaching people to have these conversations is uh, I think really important. So good for you. And, and uh yeah, I just want to make sure that we we uh, let our listeners know to uh, be sure to subscribe to our show in your podcast app so we can stay connected. This show is made possible by Respect Group. And to learn more about their work and vision, visit respectgroupinc.com. And thank you very much, Tyler. Thanks, Sheldon. Appreciate you. Yeah.